Welcome to the Inside the Eight podcast with your hosts, Jamie Monroe and Colleen McGarity. This podcast is dedicated to all things women's lacrosse. We will break down top games of the week, discuss coaching strategies, and lacrosse recruiting. We will even bring in some of the game's top coaches and players as special guests. And now, here are your hosts, Jamie and Colleen. The Philacrosophy Podcast is brought to you by Oxia Time, a cool watch company focused on university-branded watches. John Canaris is the founder of Oxia Time, and he was the goalie at Penn in the late 80s who led his team to the Final Four. John is actually best known for being the goalie that Gary Gate dunked on in the Air Gate. Oxia Time makes beautiful, Swiss-made, authentic watches whose design and quality match the essence of the universities they represent. I can attest to the quality of these watches. John hooked me up with a sweet Brown University Oxia watch, and I think it's the nicest thing I own. Initially licensed with eight Ivy League schools, Oxia keeps adding new schools each month. One of the coolest things Oxia offers is custom timepieces to commemorate championships or to celebrate storied teams. Check out the UVA lacrosse championship watch. It's sick. Princeton did a really nice one last year as well. Oxia even did an LSU football championship watch this year. For any teams interested in creating a custom watch this season, Oxia will upgrade it at no extra cost to a championship watch if your team wins a conference or national championship next year. For players, parents, and coaches interested in custom team watches, check them out at oxiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Keely McDonald, head coach at Brown, to the Inside the Eight podcast with me and Colleen McGarity. How are you doing, Keely? I am doing really well, thanks. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Pretty good. You know, just another week in quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> yep. What is it, week eight, I think? <laughs> yeah, right? I'm losing track. In the beginning, I was very diligent. Now I'm like, I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jamie, I'm so fired up to have, um, being a Brown alum, I'm so fired up to have you on this podcast, Keely. So, um, why don't you kick us off there, Colleen? All right, great. I know, actually, it's funny. You finally have a Brown alum. I've been dominating you with all my Northwestern alums on here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. So Keely, I'll just, uh, I'll start in the offensive realm. So that way I know Jamie's favorite and then we'll get the defense later. My favorite, but um I'll make it broad and then we'll kind of narrow it down to a couple more questions but like what's your style of play for Brown offensively what are your what do you look for to start out like in the beginning of fall to get your kids doing that you love and then we'll get down to a little bit more specifics oh yeah I had no idea what this podcast was about so this <laughs> is a great start and it'll get my mind locked in we're doing a lot of um kind of coaches learning at this point too, because what else can you do? So you're trying to be productive with the time. Um, so the first thing it it's evolved. So, you know, as we get kids with higher lacrosse IQ who have more specialties, then our offense has really evolved. And I say, especially over the last five years, um, as our recruiting has evolved, as facilities has, have evolved as the caliber of kid, you know, our offense has evolved too. Um, and so this past year, we've just did a lot of 3v3s in the fall. So you asked about the fall. We did split 3v3s on either side, and we just change up what the defense is doing. We'll change up what we want the offense to do. And it, so it's so much about reading your teammates, reading the play. We work a ton on spacing, a ton on the fundamentals. Um, 
and we do work, you know, a bit on the two man and that, that takes, I think that takes time to really incorporate into an offense, um, especially if the players have not done that um, with their high school coaches or with their club coaches. So that does take time. Um, but we have a couple different sets and a couple different motions, but all with basically the same principles that apply to all the motions. Um, that are simply about reading the defense and in some ways taking what the defense gives you. That's awesome. And you've mentioned a lot spacing, which I we've talked a lot about on this podcast with other coaches. Oh, it's such a hard um, concept for kids to understand. Like exactly you could be one foot off and you're not in the right space. Like, so just those angles, what is um, a good drill or what do you kind of tell them to focus on about spacing? Yeah, so a lot of the spacing, we do so much. What I have found to be the most difficult to teach is the space. The spacing next to ball can mm-hmm. be a challenge for sure, and it gets to be you're in the minutia next to ball. Yeah. A lot of time, it's it's the second and third kid away, um, and what are they doing to occupy and create the space for the ball or for the two-man? Um, so we do a lot of kind of scripted movements, off-ball flashing and popping or – kind of sneaking in in certain ways on the crease or working with the other crease kid. If the ball's, let's say on the wing or the elbow. Um, so it's a little more scripted, the spacing on the off ball. And then they start, once the defense starts to read them, then they flip flop the motions or change their motions on the backside. Um, right. That's a lot of the teaching we do is it feels like is off ball. Um, yeah. I mean, majority of the offense is off ball. Only one person yeah. has the ball. So yeah. it's, Totally. It's funny how much like kids want the ball or they're like, I can only do something with the ball and just to teach them how to grasp how important they are is, is huge with that off ball movement. I love it. Yeah. One thing with the ball, it just came to mind. You're saying that, that we do a lot of is just carry at. So teaching the simple concept of like someone's coming at you get through. And I know that sounds painfully simple, um, but how many times you see high school or even college where the kids, you know, go behind each other and this and that. So it's just, but at the college level, you have to read it so much faster. So the idea of like the caryats or reading things, we do try to start teaching more slowly and mm-hmm. more simply, even in the fall, even for the returners um, with bigger spaces and then making the spaces smaller. So the decision-making has to improve as time goes on throughout the fall. Yeah, that's awesome. That reminds me of my Colorado days when we started from scratch with those like 20 freshmen. And Ann Elliott had a similar approach. We just really, it was so simple, yet they just like couldn't get it. And then we would just make it faster or tighter as time went on. But it's, you know, you have to start that way. You can't get into the tricky things with those freshmen because a lot of them just don't understand it. Totally. And a lot of times the tricky things aren't even, I mean, they definitely (laughs) score goals, but the simple things score a heck of a lot. For sure. Oh, yeah. Jamie, any questions on the spacing and that concept? Yeah, there's tons of like things that are popping into my head about the, um, <laughs> I mean, the carry at is so interesting because it's, it, it's so obvious that you're, you shouldn't stand there when someone's carrying at you and you certainly shouldn't like back out or go behind them. Except I've kind of noticed that that actually can be an interesting, it, it's almost like a two man game in and of itself when you don't clear through because if you watch in women's across, it happens all the time where somebody, the best player on the team doesn't clear through for somebody. Let's say there's a Dodger coming from behind and they're up on the elbow somewhere, maybe a little above the elbow. 
and they don't really clear through and their man sags down and helps. And then you throw it to that girl who's like cutting in and they just slash to the net in these really interesting ways. And I've noticed in men's lacrosse, the University of Denver does this sometimes. And I just did a webinar with Steve Brundage from Hobart men's mm -hmm. lacrosse in which they're kind of purposely not clearing somebody through yeah. to overload that area. And, and the other element to this is that if, if a defender thinks that they can help um, and they're kind of in the way, it actually provides an amazing opportunity to get through that gap with fakes because totally. the defender on ball will always underplay you towards the help. Mm -hmm. If that person's a real threat that you're sort of faking to, it really puts that adjacent defender on the hook. And the only reason why I bring it up is because, I mean, obviously we want to be able to clear, create space, but sometimes clearing through actually makes it a little easier for the defense, right? Call, I mean, like you love clear, sliding off yeah. because you're clearing right into coverage. Um, and I just wanted to just um, open up this little discussion because I think a lot of kids don't clear through because they don't know they don't they don't know better but I think it actually could be a tactic at times just curious your thoughts on that yeah I mean I it's definitely a tactic I mean we there's so many options with um flips you know you don't clear through and what's going on with the flips or the fake flips um that sometimes is just if you do collide and you didn't get through, that's kind of a rule of thumb, do a flip or a fake flip for us. Um, yeah. And then if once the kids get the concept of carry outs, like you kind of got to get that, yeah. you understand how the defense is going to play it. And then you start to mess with them a little bit. So right. I absolutely, or even just, I love, you know, faking the clear through and then you're coming back and setting the pick. So it's just yeah. adding a little bit more deception. So a hundred percent, I think that's a huge opportunity. And I think a lot of like has to do with that ball carrier. So that ball carrier has to have the IQ not to like run into the person if they didn't clear through. Like, you know what I mean? Have the ability to bounce out and make a pass, have the ability to, you know, fake, like you just said, Jamie, and then, you know, make it an effective pass. So I think what you see in high school is those non clear throughs and that attacker just like running right into that person, running into a double team. And too fast. Without making a pass. Yeah, like they're too – yeah, slow it down and see what you have. Mm -hmm. What about B? Yeah, it's a great point. I think sometimes things are played so fast where I love slowing down the offense. I mean, then there's no real harm in doing that. I think kids think, especially college fresh, when they come in, they think the faster the better, like mock speed all the time. And once they start to relax and slow down, like the whole world opens up offensively. Right. Because how much better is it when someone's going slow and then they explode and you're like, oh, wow, like that change of speed yeah. is more effective in the next level than a continuous fast. Yes. So yeah. And it's true on flips too. You know, you think about flips as being sort of speed plays, but there's some really cool post-up type of flips that people are yeah. doing. Kind of post it up just inside mm -hmm. the eight, maybe, you know, between the elbow and and the goal line and then – another player comes to receive a flip you know what does that defender do do they trail you do they go under it if they go under it are they going to be in three seconds if you don't you know it kind of puts and, and it creates these weird little double teams mm -hmm. uh, which brought me on to my next question which is what are your guys thoughts on baiting doubles and baiting your stick in these little gray areas of should I double or should I not um, do you teach that do you see it do you know of players that were really good at baiting 
defenders to take a swing at their stick or to double team when it may not really be there. Yeah, well, I, I can go Colleen and then yeah, go I'd love to hear your thoughts on it too. Um, yeah, we say baiting, we say inviting the double team. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, I think it's just teaching double teams offensively as your secret weapon. Great. Like if someone's doubling you, then there's usually some reason they're doing that. <laughs> like they're doubling it and everyone's trying to reorganize around the double team. So of course someone's open, but it's also, they're doing it for a reason. So I think the bait can be, it's just like in the, um, you know, we tell our defenders like attackers who are riding are so overly aggressive that if you actually slow down a little bit and are a little bit deceptive, you can let their over aggression not work out all that well for them. I think it's the yeah. same thing for a high pressure double team, just bait it a little bit. And it's, sometimes it's just like a little pull and you can even shoot around a double team or split through. And yeah. it takes the smallest, like when kids just slow down a little bit and they can see a bit more and invite bait, whatever the language is, they, the game is really more at their fingertips than they re- always realize. They don't, they don't need to be rushed by a double team. You brought up so many good points, even brought me back to when I was a player. I remember breaking the ball out as a defender. I'd be like, when I was younger, I'd be like freaking out. Like their ride is so hard and I have to run by them and do this. When I just like stopped or like slipped right between people or just took a deep breath, I was able to beat a ride so much easier and like make a really calm pass or just, you know, we work so much on walking stick protection, like, you know what I mean? You can get by anybody or make a pass. Like, so, you know, if you just take that deep breath and I think it's the same thing that you brought up, Kaylee, so many good points. And I always tell my girls, like, just be a threat. If someone slide to you, that's a good thing. That means you're a threat. So you have to make the correct play and it's not running through a double team. You know what I mean? So like Jamie, you just said, I think it's just how you teach it. But I always say that you need to try and draw a double team. If not, you should be able to take anybody one-on-one. Um, so it's a really good concept that I think it's just the way you look at it. I think kids are doing it all the time, but they don't realize what the next effective play should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so exciting for your team when the double's on or then you start yeah. to play with it, play with it. Okay. They're stepping here and you, and you start to watch the second defender's footwork and when she's coming towards you versus when she's then retreating or hedging. And I think the, the kids who are drawing all those, double teams start to have a little fun with that second defender for sure we might have frozen jamie over here are you back i was just deep in thought <laughs> okay you're deep in thought. <laughs> sometimes he freezes <laughs> good so you're probably thinking about a million things go ahead jamie <laughs> no i was just I'm, I'm just been in lately just thinking a lot about baiting because of our little backyard games. And the more you play, the more you just start messing around with stuff. So we have this little backyard two on two keep away drill. This is where I started thinking about it. Okay. So it's, we're on this little sport court. It's usually me and Lucy against Colin and Emily and we just play keep away shut off and we play five rounds of it. And we do like, it's like five innings. So each team gets the ball five times. And then you count your number of passes. And so it, it's, it's not a big space. So it's kind of hard to get open. And, and most of the stuff that you're doing turns into baiting and deception because like, um, you know, it's hard to 
pass the ball, it's like we're using tennis balls and it's hard to handle. And what I started doing was just sort of holding my stick out there and trying to get people to go for it so that I could open up. I would try to get the, I would, if they were setting a pick, I try to like get the defender guarding the off ball player to swing at my stick so I could pull it out of the way and pop a feed. And I started watching like Native Americans do this all the time. They bait people all the time into swinging at their sticks and they do it both in one-on-one situations and in double-team situations. There's this one clip, I'll send it to you, but Zach Miller in the national semifinals, University of Denver versus Notre Dame, he's rolling out of a, out of a dodge and a double's coming right to him, and he's, he's screwed. There's no way he's getting through this. And he just showed his stick over here, and the guy like went for it, and he right through. And it's just, I don't know, I think there's something to it, and I know that – as kids, you always kind of bait people, right? But as we get more into structure, we kind of like lose that. And I feel like it's actually, it's, it's there a lot. And I think it's just interesting. I wanted to hear if you guys had sort of experienced that in other sports or in your coaching. I can do yeah, that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what came to mind was when you said, um, you know, what, what detracts from that kind of deception, that creativity is structure. I think it's both structure and pressure and perceived um, kind of misunderstandings of what greatness does look like. Like it has to be fast is one thing. And there's for younger players or just freshmen or sophomores there, there's a lot of pressure. So they're trying to do things so right that they forget that the right is the creativity. And so they, I think they lose that kind of relaxed field of their game. And then sometimes they don't get it back until they're a junior or a senior So I feel like as a coach, um, it's really our responsibility to do our best to teach or put drills in place or even just keep reinforcing that creativity, that deception. Um, I mean, even it goes a step further than just the game of like relaxed intensity and how you're getting your mindset right and your confidence and all these things because – if we can do things that open up the avenue for that baiting and that creativity and that deception – at practice on the field and off the field. Um, it's pretty awesome. And I think with the chemistry too, with your teammates, if they're encouraging that and they're encouraging that kind of slowness, then I think that can be really helpful too. So I think you actually have to practice it over and over and over so that it becomes muscle memory so that when you're, the pressure is a little higher, they can fall back on it. I mean, one of the, my favorite things that our leadership guy says is, um, you don't rise to the occasion, you sink to your level of habits. I'm sure you've heard that a million times, but I love like, you're going to sink to your level, like your lowest level of creativity that you've practiced over and over. So we have to do a good job as coaches of continuing to practice that baiting and that deception. Ooh, I like that a lot. Here's a question similar to what came first, the chicken or the egg? What should come first, creativity or the teaching and learning of fundamentals? I think you got to do it both at the same time. Yeah. Really. Like I, you know, I like that Colleen um, brought up her, her time at um, Colorado. I don't know if you know Colleen, but I helped Kelly at the very beginning of Northwestern. Mm -hmm. So um, it was fun. We did both. Like there was, there were days where we did three V threes all practice until they got them. They could get them. So sorry, three V not, um, not three V threes, three man weave. So they could get the fundamentals of catching and throwing all the way down and all the way back. And it took a really long time to do that. So we did it all practice. 
And then another practice, we would work on fake behind the backs and then we finish a low shot. So it's like this constant tension, I feel like, between fundamentals and being really disciplined and strict on fundamentals and having standards and really practicing the creativity. So come game time, there can be a pretty good marriage of them. No, yeah, and they continued that concept while I was there playing. Like we would have days of just like all creative stick work stuff, like defenders, everyone's doing everything, and then days of like overhand shooting, and that's it. Do you know what I mean? Just like so it's kind of I agree with you, Kaylee, just kind of tying in both. And what I think that creativity gets to in those habits you're talking about is the overthinking that it brought me to. Like I think so many times, like kids overthink and they think, 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 and until they play free they get to those, you know, you know, those level of habits we're talking about Those, that's like that where their bar is at. And I was actually thinking about basketball the past couple of days. I don't even know why, probably because I'm watching this Michael Jordan thing, but yeah. I was thinking about like, Oh, the, my best games I ever played basketball. Like I don't even remember them. You know what I mean? I was like, you don't even remember like what you were thinking. Like you were just in a zone of non-thinking. You yeah. know what I mean? You were just playing free, which Jamie is what you're, doing a great job of with like your kids in the backyard of just playing free mm-hmm. and then handling the pressure because you're not thinking. Yeah. I think people psych themselves out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's funny that like sometimes the, um, you know, off the field stuff helps with them staying more relaxed with on the field so that they can really get in that flow. Cause nothing's better as an athlete to feel that like level of creativity for yourself but then when it's with your teammates like what there's no better feeling than that yeah for sure here's a um here's a a a thought on the topic that we were discussing which is you think about all the different dodges that you you love to teach that you that you think are important you know there's a lot of them and then you teach them and then you're like okay we really need to work on deception (laughs) but really it's the deception that makes the entire dodge anyways. Right. And so that's like kind of one of those chicken and the egg things. And yeah. I'm a lot about it. It's like, all right, let's work on this, this, and this. And then, all right, let's, let's teach deception now. Which <laughs> yeah. But it's like, it is such a huge part of it. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about, we use the word up-leveling a lot. So it's like, you know, because even at our level, there are so many different levels of deception or creativity or dodges. So let's say we're working on a particular dodge and for a certain kid, let's say a freshman has it down. She's just so great at this dodge. Like how can she up level? And we talk a lot about um, with pace and deception. So you should be on your own, kind of make checking in with yourself. Like, can I be a little more, bit more deceptive? Can the pace be, there be a change of pace or a faster pace or a slower pace? So we talk a lot about pace and deception as a personal up level whenever we're doing something team wise that we can't as, you know, we have four coaches, a lot of kids, you know, sometimes high school, you have one kid, one coach, 50 kids. So making sure the kids understand what the up level looks like so that they can make sure that there, there's some personal accountability for that, that playful up level in, in fundamentals. I love it. Yeah. I love that creativity. I was just thinking about, I do a lot of lessons and I was like, I don't think I've done the same lesson ever. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like some people are like, oh, we're just going to do the same exact thing. I was like, all right, now we're going to add on, you're going to do this shot or this fake, or, you know what I mean? Having like, it's all kind of one and the same, as you said, Jamie, it's like all based on the same rooted fundamentals, but so much deception and bounces and, and fakes and creativity off of it. So it's just never, 
And never is a dodge going to be the exact same, right? You know what I mean? You might. No, they're never. Yeah, right? It's like things as simple as the best dodgers just like naturally don't look where they're dodging. Right, yeah. Right? You can have the best split dodge in the world, but if you're kind of looking what you're doing, it's pretty obvious. The easiest dodge in the world is just like, you know, make it look like you're going to throw the ball to somebody and then split, right? I mean, yeah. there's nothing easier than that, actually. Nothing. No. Just like fake the pass, make the, take the dodge. You know, fake the dodge, make the pass. Like, it's just that simple, yeah. I mean, you think of all of us, you know, we're older than you, Colleen, but, you know, you <laughs> go back and you play as these re retired people and you do not have anything else but your deception. So it's yeah. like, that's what we get really good at. And I always wish, you know, players could fast forward a little bit, grab the deception they'll have in five or 10 years when they're slow and they can't move as fast and bring it back to them. So true. It's funny. Yeah. Cause whenever me and my coaches hop in, we just sit there and we like, we don't have to move that much. Right. I'm like, yeah, just, you know, and putting your stick in different spots where some kids just only ask for in the exact same spot. Yes. It's also another concept that's pretty interesting. Like being able to ask for it in a different spot or, Yep. Having the IQ to feed someone ahead of where they're going or where they were. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, there's, that's a. That's I know. A we can talk all day on that. I know. That was, that was a fun one. <laughs> um, Jamie, anything more offensively you want to ask before no, I head over? The moral of the story is you can't teach feel. And so, yeah. um, you know, you, you, have to, you have to learn that yourself. But um, yeah, Colleen, why don't you uh, turn, the, uh, turn the page here? Yeah, so um, going over to defense, Keely. So a lot of our podcasts lately have just been uh, – there's been so much zone in Division One lacrosse this yeah. past couple of years, and it's evolving. What do you guys do at Brown? Are you man end zone, mainly zone, uh, combination? What do you guys do? Yeah, um, so this – for the last couple of years, we've done more zone. Um, and it's honestly a very similar topic to what we were just talking about because I feel like the zone – does offer so much creativity and allows you to be in that flow state that you were talking about as a defender of just like, all right, make the read, communicate, make the read, communicate, because it's so much in our experience of it. It's, it's just a little less structured. You know, there's so many situations and there could be four right reads to a situation. You just have to make it and do it and trust it. And then everyone responds off of that. Um, so I, I think there's, very similar creativity to the zone that we've been running. And um, I mean, it certainly takes tremendous defenders with really good lacrosse IQ um, and very good, very good leadership. Yeah. I love what you just said because when my kids ask me, like, was that the right thing? I'm like, well, there's like nine different right things, but if you just all committed to that, that one right thing, it's so yeah. hard to like, they want like an answer. And I'm like, there isn't a clear answer. Can you just be athletic and just like read it? like just read the right thing. Right. Um, but it's a concept that's like hard to, you don't just write it out. Like it's going to go this way. Yeah. It, it just needs to shift and you need to shift together. And it's so much about chemistry. Um, so do you guys just kind of like just harp on it and practice and practice so they can get to know each other more and feel each other out? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, um, we do a lot of small situations. We do things slower so that we can do faster. One of the phrases we like is slower is actually faster. So if you take things a little slower to learn and get to know each other, then it does end up being faster long-term. It's just not fast right away. Um, the, the, you know, center people in the zone, depending on what, whether it's two or one that you're running, I mean, she does have to be outstanding. 
um, from her communication. So it's a lot of repetition with that and just a ton of film. I think for any, you know, offense, defense, whatever it is, film is great, but especially when you're able to talk through those scenarios slowly with a coach and make the reads in a film session. Um, we did a really fun thing where once we found out the season was canceled um, and we had a certain amount of hours, of course, you know, all we can really do is film with the kids mm -hmm. or, or their culture building things. And we did a lot of player led film sessions where they would pick out clips, come up with things, ask questions, lead the sessions. I think when the players are leading film sessions, there's almost not, no better teacher than you having to be the teacher. Uh, so that can be really helpful. I like that. How would you characterize your zone then? From a pressure standpoint or organizational standpoint? Um, both um, from a pressure perspective and is it more of like a backer or more of like a rover? more of like a rover um and the pressure it's so dependent on the kid uh who you know who's pressuring the ball but then also where it is it's scout dependent um we definitely want our i mean we want them to have fun playing lacrosse so there's a lot of freedom in going for pickoffs and making the reads and trusting their sticks I mean, we do so much one thing we did in the last two years was had all of our defenders do our draw stick work so that they're getting all the wrist strength that we just weren't spending as much time giving them. So they, so we have all these draw routines, of course, you know, where you're doing one-handed stuff and all these things, but now all of our de defenders have to do our draw stick work so that they're working on their pickoffs and all their one-handed excellence too. Do you um, pressure, I guess you said it's very game, game specific and who you're playing, but do you typically pressure in your zone like past the 12 or is it more like eight in between the eight and the 12? Um, a little dependent. It's also just dependent on the kid who's on ball and her athleticism and her personal mm -hmm. matchup. Like if she can right. go out there and do it and take that risk, go do it. Um, but I wouldn't say it's not one of those, like we played our last game of the season was Virginia Tech and they're, they have a very interesting zone and they're all the way out. It's not that. So it's, you know, closer to the 12. Got it. Yeah. yeah. I like that. That's kind of more specific to the player because, yeah. right if you have a high pressure zone and there's one player that can't handle that, then it messes it all up. But it's nice if she can step back and then you just kind of adjust. Exactly. They know, I mean, we say KYP, you don't know your personnel all the time, not just yeah. KYP the opponent, but KYP us. Like you got to right. know this kid is in, you know, sports is all about, look, these are my vulnerabilities. <laughs> I'm not great at this. Cover me. Or like, I'm great at this. You know, you don't need to cover me as much. So you, once you start accepting what you're good at and what you're not good at, then the team can go, you know, do so much better for whatever it's offense or defense. No I love that. Know your personnel. I, and it makes me laugh because I coach a high school team. So clearly we have some kids that aren't going to play college across. And right. I had a basketball player on my team last year and she stunk at catching and throwing, like couldn't catch, but she was an amazing defender. And yeah. one time biggest game, like tied up our goalie throws it to her. I'm like, what the heck are you doing? Right. I was like, why would you? Do, I was like, Kate, do you even want the ball? She was like, nope. No, so, <laughs> no. It's so yeah. funny to do that. Like, you're, yeah. And I was like, just hold it. on to it. <laughs> Kate yeah. was like, I don't want it ever, especially in this game. Right. Like, yeah. Right. No, she didn't want it. Yeah. Like, yeah. girls are, you know, or, you know, I don't want to, you know, generalize, but, you know, that's who I work with. So I'll just say, girl, <laughs> you know, I don't, maybe boys are different, but. Um, they're afraid to say like, this is my weakness and then this is my strength and just yeah. 
fine with it and someone to be able to say, like, we have the players say, this kid's, my teammate's great at this and she stinks at this. So I got to cover this, you know, like. Right. Especially. It's funny. Yeah. I like getting the non lacrosse players there because they're more, um, you know, able to be like, I stink at catching and throwing, like, because they're not going to play college lacrosse. It's the ones that are like still competing or like there that are fearful of saying their weakness out loud. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Who has won a national championship as a zone team? Hmm. Was JMU? Well, Northwestern did. Yeah, we played red forever. Yeah, yeah we did. For a bunch of, bunch of years. JMU, I think, was too. One of those, one of the, one of the, my like senior year, I think we were not in red. We were in our, like, our normal man. Um, but my sophomore and freshman year with like Morgan Lathrop in the cage, and we were in red those two years. And JMU was his own, right? JMU was his own. JMU. Um, Definitely not Maryland. I mean, with their caliber of athletes. No, not Maryland. Man to man's working just North Carolina has been man to man too, right? I mean, if you have. Yeah, they have athletes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's all. The best defense you could possibly play if you wanted to just dream up your ultimate dream defense would be man to man with great players that you don't really have to slide early to. You collapse on late and you look for double team. Yeah. And. If you feel like you're going to have to help, you might as well play zone so everyone's on the same page. You're not just, you know, getting six people over here and one over here where it's too late. Yeah. No question. <laughs> I just think, yeah, good teams have the, the versatility to go back and forth, to change it up, to surprise people, to be athletic, to change all the time. And I mean, it was funny, like even the, the red Northwestern zone, that was just out. It was the most tiring thing. It was like you were in need ball situation for no reason. <laughs> all the time like you were just running around like crazy it was just chaotic mm-hmm. which it was a different type of zone it was like a zone before the zones now became right more of a thing yeah, yeah. um i want to move on to just like transition and midfielders we get a um some of our listeners asking and just curious about your thoughts and what you guys do at brown do you have like two lines that you run evenly do you do a midi d midis do you do have a bunch of just straight middies that can run all game? Are you like Maryland where you have these crazy athletes that can just stay on the field and never be tired? And no, <laughs> right. So what a uh, very creative with our, our life, our midi life over here. Um, it's so funny in our office. We, so we have Brian, Gabby, Eileen and myself. And I, I think Brian, Gabby and I have worked together for four or five years at this point, And we still, it's like we try to have the same language everywhere, but a brown middies, we don't have the same language. So sometimes we call it a line or, but I think what you're saying for a midi D midi is someone who runs off and just, yes. off. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so um, we do a combination. We have um, definitely have, we run two lines. So a midi D middies or this past year, for example. And then we also did it where we had kind of a D midi situation where one would go over an offense and one would stay back on defense. So uh, they, I think we're honestly creative every single year with how with we what you have. Yeah. We haven't had one. And I'd say in the past four years, we have not had one straight up lineup. I mean, some of it's because of depth. Some of it's because of, you know, this kid's just so much better than, and we try to get her more mm-hmm. time. Um, but I think hopefully next year we'll have more depth. So hopefully we'll be able to, there's some kids who really can play straight up midfield. Um, right. Another factor is just freshmen coming in. 
there's so much to learn offensively and defensively that we usually push them one way or the other. There's a rare kid that can do both. Although we did have a freshman this year who was a true midi and took the draw. And was wow. I, I have not seen that in a long time. It's, it's hard to do. I mean, if you, you look at all of the great midfielders, they usually rarely started out straight midfield. Like they usually came in as a, an a midi or an attacker and then moved or, you know, or yeah, I don't know. It is, it definitely is hard and you have to have those legs, especially with the shot clock. Now it's crazy mm-hmm. how fast and fit you have to be. Yeah. Um, so I was always just baffled at like, you know, the Caitlin McFadden's of the world, the Taylor Cummings that just like never came off the field. Yeah. Impressive. <laughs> right. Um, so it's a fun game to play too. Like you yeah. can get crafty with it and start to, we got started to get a little more crafty with the subbing, like faking like you're coming off and staying on and helping with the clear. We have a very particular clear. Um, and it didn't really impact our ride. I think we use that, try to use it to our advantage. There are ways to just be a little more, again, deceptive, yeah. um, with your transition game. For sure. Yeah. Head on a swivel is what Kelly used to always say. Just know like you're might be wide open as you're running off to help yeah. and you change it up. Yep. Interesting. I like it. Jamie, anything on transition and middies? How do you, um, how do you still have an effective ride when you're subbing people off at the same time? So it's timing. So you, we, we have them. Um, so similar to head on what Colleen just said, head on a swivel if you're open, but head on a swivel for the ride too. So you're kind of riding coming off and it's the timing with which you're coming off. And then um, also having people cover your spot until they come on. And then what ends up happening is if you time it right, the, they get jammed or they get clogged on a particular side. Um, so like, you know, kids are coming in off the box and then if the ball carrier is coming up, hopefully that will happen. And then that's where a lot of people, she's running into a lot of people. So it seemed, you know, we had a ride this year, we subbed two kids off, um, but we had an early sub and a late sub. Mm -hmm. So that is really helpful. Yeah. You do have to have pretty smart kids who are playing that position. And sometimes you're just like, get in. (laughs) I like the early and the late sub. Yeah. Oh yeah. You have, I think. Yeah. And like, I mean, sometimes the sub off the, like you're saying helps you in the ride, James, because you gain those 10 yards and then they're like, I thought I was just by someone and then they subbed off and someone comes on 10 yards ahead. You could yep. jam them up right into that double team. So yep. you have to be smart in that, that regard. Yep. You have to practice it. I think sometimes we don't practice that because there's so many other things to practice. Yeah. If you do practice that, we, we do it in every single, we have a drill called skinny clear where it's just a smaller situation clear where we're practicing subbing we're always practicing it we um we're gonna try to i was gonna try to implement this concept that kevin corrigan at notre dame who by the way anybody that's interested in riding and clearing this guy is he might be the best in the business at he's incredible i saw he does a bunch of like webinars on that stuff i need to watch some of them i did one with him recently actually last uh, virtual lacrosse summit and he's got this concept called roll up. But basically what he does, he, they're a big two-way team, a full field team, and they try to run two-way middies. But they, they manage to get two middies on all the time. So they'll get one midi go off bench side every time, and then they'll have one early sub. But then what they do is they end up subbing an attackman later, and then they roll up, and they basically – it's almost like a big conveyor belt – where, where they push up with the off-bench side midi. Yes. Now it becomes 
an attackman. Yep. And it allows them to put pressure on and sub in, in, in almost a circular fashion. If you can imagine subbing off on the bench side, subbing on on the bench side and pushing up on the off bench side, it allows you to like flood the off bench side with people while you're bringing people on and off. Um, yep. it's, it's a really cool concept that I was interested to try to mess around with. Of course, our season was canceled like everybody else's, so we just didn't get it. <laughs> now we'll just draw it up in our heads for next year. <laughs> Talk about it on podcasts. Exactly. Yeah, I like hearing that, Jamie. We did something with um, just having the, the attackers keep rotating. We didn't quite sub them off, but there was a rotation that happened that maybe you know we can try that in the future. I like that, too. Um, Jamie, any other questions on that? Um, if not, I'm going to move to a recruiting type of question. Um, so, Keely, we've been kind of asking this question now in quarantine. Just what's your advice for those 22s out there that are freaking out and no idea what to do and the unknown and planning for the unknown? Um, just some advice on how to handle this time with recruiting, what they should be doing uh, right now to prepare for September 1st. If it is going to be a September 1st, if there isn't going to be a September 1st. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think you said it beautifully. Like, we don't know, and I'm sure every – I would think that most coaches have said, like, you got to be patient. You have to control what you can control. And it's so cliche, but I think in challenging times, just like in challenging times with lacrosse or in pressure situations or this is a challenging time, you control what you can control and then do that to the best of your ability and have a little, you know, trust that things are going to work out. I mean, truly all the kids are in the same boat, so there's not a – inequity here right I mean there's some inequities with you know access to things but generally from a timing standpoint um you know everybody's in the same boat and all coaches need players and all players still need home so I think everybody will be tasked with being creative and you you know the more creative as a whole and the more patient as a whole we are I think then and trusting that everyone will find a home just like they have for however many years I mean people who haven't done this or have done this for a long time. We've seen so many changes over time anyway. I mean, kids used to get recruited when they were seniors and then when they were freshmen and then when they were juniors. So things change, we adapt, but I would tell like, focus on what you can control. Be Get obsessed about something right now. Get obsessed about your stick work, set goals, set monthly goals. Um, certainly video can help communicate with teammates. I also would say like, bring people up. Don't get so isolated about like, how's my you know, my recruiting experience going to play out, but you know, how can I help people also um, be really successful during this time? So I'd say like, just focus on what you can control. Yeah. I love that. And I love the part about bringing people up because I've been trying to get them just to like be grateful and just like really get out there and work on your skills and just, you know, when that time comes, you're ready, you know, but you had a, you know, however many months we're going to be in quarantine of gratefulness and feeling like, you're fortunate to be outside. You're fortunate to do this. And rather than being like, my world's ending and I can't do this and this should have happened and that, and then you're just going to get in this like really negative place. So, yep. and I love that, like bringing other people up, like maybe tell your teammates how great they, they are and how much you appreciate them and get them to working with you via FaceTime or, you know, whatever the kids are doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's great. I love it. Good advice. Yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity. I mean, in any sort of difficult situation, there is going to be some sort of opportunity that we have to we have to discover. Mm-hmm. I mean, the same when they're in college. Yeah, you know, right. You have to find a way to control what you can control. Work on your fundamentals and do what you need to do, and be patient. Like it's 
the, the lessons are going to apply everywhere. For sure. I know. And I think there's someone like I hear this, you know, quote all the time. Some people are going to come out stronger out of this. Some people are going to come out weaker and, you know, you can decide for yourself who you want to be. Um, so I love it. James. Um, what do you, what's your opinion on the impact and um, importance of, of advocates? It seems like it's going to be a shortened window. Yeah. Um, it may not be that shortened. It might be radically shortened. We don't know, yeah. but I think it, things are moving in this direction anyways, because there's just so many good players at so many events and not enough coaches hours to, to watch them play. How yep. important is it to have people that you can trust on evaluations? It's huge. I mean, it, it, I think it's, it may seem more important now. And in some ways I think it will be because of the timeline and that's so important anyway. I mean, it's so important to have club coaches and other advocates that you, okay, I, I know what Jamie's eval entails or I know what Colleen you know how she kind of judges her players and so that trust is critical anyway if we're really doing our homework you know prior to the situation we needed to have that trust anyway um, to get the right kids to the program I think it's so important and yeah I, I do think it's important now and it's important that as, as a coaching staff we do our research so we actually are not only just relying on advocates for people but we're going out of our way to seek out advocates where maybe their kids, Oh, like, you know, we haven't heard about this kid or we don't know about her, but geez, her film looks pretty good. Or her footwork when she's in her backyard by herself looks, you know, pretty surprisingly good. So we have to actually go out of our way too and make sure we're doing as much research and much connecting as possible um, to, on our end to, to get creative and find a way to get the right fits to Brown. I always feel like advocates, it's sort of people don't really understand how it works. I feel like an advocate doesn't mean someone's going to get somebody recruited. An advocate just means that if I'm like, hey, Keely, this kid's pretty good. Take a look. You'll probably, you know, if Colleen says that, you'll, you'll take a look. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and the other piece is if you really like somebody and they play for Colleen, you're going to call Colleen and be like, hey, give me some more detail on this because, you know, and, and but, but that's why I was saying it's going to be so important because you're just not going to have as much time to seek out these players on your own. So now you really got to find some people like, all right, who should, who should I be looking at? We don't have a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, no, no question. I mean, I think that's, you know, we we're revamping our recruiting plan to not, not because we know what's going to happen, but what can we do now that can, regardless of what happens, help us going forward. So whether it's reviewing the 22 film from the fall or it's, you know, checking in with particular club coaches, or just sort of real realigning with things that need to happen. So that's definitely one of them. Yeah. And for you, especially a high academic school like Brown, it could be like, all right, getting ahead of these kids check our boxes and these kids don't, you know, and you can do all that homework a little bit on the front end instead of the yes. back end. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. I think just like getting a little crafty with the timeline and mm -hmm. um, who knows what the, you know, what the contact is going to look like. You know, maybe that becomes more important or. I know it might be like this. You might be with yeah. kids on the first on yeah. A Zoom call. Yeah. Well, we've done that in the past, which we really like. So, yeah. um, you know, if we're not able to do a home visitor and it's in person, we do, do do that. Cause I think it is really helpful. Yeah, for sure. Or with families, with parents, like let's say a parent last year, a couple parents could not come out for visits. So um, 
we offered them Zoom calls. Oh, that's nice. I like that idea. Yeah. Just like, I think there's a face to face where they totally just agree. Yeah. Learning so much about comfort and confidence mm-hmm. in the process and in the coaches and the experience. So we try to offer that if possible. Right. I actually have been trying to do one-on-one meetings with all my 22s and I'm actually like nice. critiquing them, how they're presenting themselves in this. I'm like, okay, so we might need to do some work before you get talking to <laughs> coaches. Like you need to sit up and <laughs> like right and like little things like that just to get them okay you guys need to be become your own advocates as well which is huge like they need to advocate for themselves and believe in themselves they can't just be driven by the parent which is huge yeah so with this shortened timeline um don't you think that coaches are going to be patient and not just going to like rush it just because it's September 1st. I mean, if this, if this thing has to extend deep into the fall or even next summer, don't you think it will in order for coaches to get it right? Yeah, I, I, I hope so. (laughs) I mean, I just can't, it's like, I can't imagine there's a coach that would sacrifice it being a good fit for it being done. I mean, we've never done that. And I, we feel like we've gotten some great, great players. And um, I think it would be a little naive to say, Oh, just, we want to get things done just because it's how it used to be. I mean, we want to still see kids play. We want to get to know them. We want to get to know their families. We want to talk to coaches and certainly we'll do that probably ahead of time, but I can't imagine we're, we all don't just adapt to a, a new timeline. I mean, totally agree. Yeah, I brought it up just because that's why people should not freak out so much because the timeline is going to be pushed back, but it's not going to be that different. It's just going to be later. It's right. just going to be later though. The process will be the same. Like, is it a good fit for our program? Is it a good fit? The kid is a good fit. Like all of it has to happen. Right. It should almost be a sense of calm. Like, Hey, just stick to your path, control what you control. It'll happen. It just might not happen in that time frame that you thought it was a year yeah. ago you know totally maybe um they talk you know there's been talk about the potential of august becoming a time when you can evaluate well maybe january could too and all of a sudden you know all of a sudden going down to uh florida or uh, palm springs or something (laughs) might not be a thing for everybody uh just have your summer in january yeah yeah, that's we we had a long call Ivy League call the other day, and um, that was one of the things. Like, do we need to? How are we shifting the recruiting calendar, and what can we do to just create new pockets of of windows for evaluation to see right. kids alive, to work with them? Um, I think everyone's going to be good news is everyone's going to be eager to find a different way to do this because everyone needs to have you know people in their program. For sure. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. Well, Keely, thank you so much for joining us. Um, yeah, sure. so far, uh, around the cross with you. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Thank you both.